Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Let me go ahead and give you a trigger warning before I move any further into this episode. This is going to be difficult for some of you to hear. But when you do biblical counseling, when you do discipleship, the work of discipleship, you want to be thorough, you want to be comprehensive, and that means that you you have to go around every corner. You, you've got to make the full circle. You can't leave any parts out if you want to do discipleship well. And what that means is sometimes you're going to go into some areas that are going to be dicey, and that's what this podcast is about. It will be that way for some of you, and I do recognize that, and I will try to to steward this opportunity that I have to present this material to you, but I do want you to know that I am well aware of what I'm presenting to you, and I know some of you are in complex situations, but there is a time. Now, maybe this is not the time for you, but there is a time at some point where you have to make the full circle. You have to go around every corner. You have to get into every nook and cranny if you want to come to that place of a desired resolution to whatever situational difficulty or relational conflict that you may be in. And so with that as my trigger warning and my apology, let me give you the title of the podcast, and then I want to share this article with you. This is not an episode. This is an article. It is fully written out. There's more than 2,000 words here, and so you can read everything that I'm going to share with you. Some of you like that. You like to go back and read the article and take time with it, and I'm glad you do. I'm glad you're that diligent. I'm glad that uh, you see it important to pull aside to take some time to reflect upon it, and that's really how transformation happens. Transformation doesn't happen in wind sprints. It happens in marathons, and so when you slow down and, and you find a resource that you believe is beneficial for you, and then you spend time drilling down in it and, and really reflecting upon it, you're setting yourself up for some good things that could happen as far as transformation. So the title of this article is Humbly Assessing How Our Behaviors May Push Others Away from Christ. This is one of those reflective, self-assessing articles that I'm going to be sharing with you. And as you can imagine, the way that I've set it up with the title, it means that it could mean that there is somebody in your life who is difficult. They are a challenge. They are disappointing. And in this podcast, I am not talking primarily about them. I'm talking about you, a secondary actor, your role as you cooperate with God in their ongoing transformation, which means you probably are going to have to do some heart work, and that's where it's going to get sticky. But I have already given you my trigger warning, and so let me get into this. And, and I'll begin it with a question, rather straightforward. How do your attitudes, your words, your actions move people? Our behavior motivates people in one direction or the other. We're pushing people toward Christ or we are pushing people from him. People are not stationary. People are not neutral. We're going in one direction or another, and we are helping people. We are assisting them. And and, and logic would imply that just as we can motivate people toward Christ, that's called discipleship. That's the Great Commission. That's going and making disciples. We're evangelizing. We're witnessing. We want to move people toward Jesus 
Well, logic would say that we can also do the opposite of that as well, and that is what I want to address here. We're not responsible for their choices, and it's important for you to hear that right up front. But we are vital secondary actors who must always think about how we can cooperate with the Lord in His good work in people's lives. No matter what you do in your marriage, you cannot make your spouse sin. No matter what anybody does to you, they cannot make you sin. To sin is a personal choice. And I'm not making these claims in a detached way, as though I have lived an unblemished, unaffected life. Those of you who have listened to me for any amount of time, you know that that's not true. I have been both an active sinner, and I have also been on the victimization side of sin. I have lived through drunkenness and adultery and pornography and physical and verbal abuse and divorce and loss of children and prison, and two murders. No one would characterize my life as blemish-free in any way, in any shape or form. You need to know this about me, perchance you do not know, especially if you have been the victim of some sort of abuse. Sometimes a victim of sin can feel accused of being the cause of what others did to them. It is not true. At all. And so do not go there in your thinking. Never accuse anyone, including yourself, of the sin that another person commits. It is only the person who commits it that we are to accuse. I'm sharing here how a person can contribute to another person's sin, but not be the ultimate cause of that person's sin. If I sin against anyone, I will not be able to stand before God and say, well, I sinned because so-and-so did such-and-such to me. This kind of blame-shifting will not work before the Almighty Judge. Adam already tried that approach, and it did not work for him as he blamed Eve for his choices. Some women, in particular, can listen to this statement about pushing their husbands into an adulterous relationship and take offense. I would be offended too if someone suggested that I was the cause of my wife's adultery. My wife did commit, my former wife did commit adultery. And if you suggest that I was the cause of it, yes, I would be offended. If your husband is in pornography or if he's in adultery or if he's a workaholic, it's his fault. It's his choice. It's his responsibility before God. It is his sin. And I'm not accusing you of being the cause of his sin. Now, with that said, all of us need to look at our behaviors to see how our behaviors can contribute, though not ultimately cause a person to sin. Now, it takes a lot of humility to recognize and own how our behavior can impact, it can influence others in the poor decisions that they make. We can behave in such a way that it can, it can be unhelpful to our relationships. We can be a stumbling block to others, even though we're not the ones who made them choose a path of sin. 
Now, there is a long caveat that I just gave you. And for those of you who have ears to hear, please hear what I am saying. Now, with that said, let me get to the heart of what I want to share with you. And again, it is the title of the podcast and this article that I'm sharing called Humbly Assessing How Our Behaviors May Push Others Away from Christ. I want to talk about two demographics specifically. One is troubled teens, and the other one is troubled marriages. I'll spend a little bit of time with troubled teens, but I want to spend most of the time with troubled marriages because that's where, quite frankly, where most of my listeners are. I have done a lot of counseling with troubled teens. It's not unusual for troubled teens to share stories about their parental disappointment, and though their stories are all different, there usually is one common denominator. Their parents have failed somehow. Those disappointments are often directly connected to specific things parents did wrong or the ways parents failed their child. Now, this circumstance, what I'm sharing with you, should not be a surprise to any of us. If I were omniscient, I could probably write a book about the number of times I have failed our children. Mercifully, God did not make me omniscient. Knowing and remembering all that I have done wrong as a parent would be more discouraging than I think I could shoulder. But the Lord did give me a means of grace so I could change. I can repent. I don't have to be stuck in that place of always being a stumbling block, be always being an offense to our children. Repentance is where God wipes away my sin because of the atoning blood of our Savior. And sadly, though the blood of Christ removes my sin, the things that I have done wrong against my children, the story of what I did remains. And sometimes the effect of my sin remains too. Our children could share stories with you about the times I was angry with them. And though they have forgiven me, they remember those times. I was not motivating them toward Christ as a secondary actor cooperating with God. In fact, I wasn't cooperating with God at all in those moments. If our children were allowed, they could make a case against me for why they chose to sin in response to my sin. But they cannot do this any more than you or I can. Probably the most challenging thing I have to tell any troubled teen is that he has no excuse for his sin, no matter what has happened to him. It's never right to sin in response to evil. Plain and simple, sin is not allowed. It is a balancing act to walk with a teen through the minefield of being legitimately sinned against, showing sympathy for what has happened to him, and then calling him to repentance for his sinful responses to what has happened to him. My point is this. People can do things to hurt you, but we have no right to respond in any evil way because of what others have done for us, uh, to us who have harmed us in some way. And then those who have harmed us, which is the point of this podcast here, we are the ones that need to assess how have we contributed. As a parent, how have we demotivated our children to Christ? We're not giving them an excuse for the evil choices that they make, 
But again, the point is, how are you motivating or demotivating any person, in this case, your children toward Christ? In in the second demographic that I want to address in this podcast are troubled marriages. What goes on in the counseling office with the teen is exponentially more delicate for the wife of a man who has committed adultery or she has caught him in pornography. Getting to helping a wife see how she has been reacting and responding to her husband is one of the most sensitive things you will ever do in counseling. I'm talking about walking around the complete circle, going around every corner. I have made a large caveat of how she is not responsible for the adultery that he has committed But the wife needs to understand that she was not the cause, but she needs to come to a place of humility to see how she may have contributed as a secondary actor to what is currently going on in the marriage. This puzzle is not something you try to do the first time you meet with a struggling couple. A novice counselor may do that but not the right counselor. You know you may have to go there. You know you need to look around that corner because if you want them to come to a place of complete restoration, the husband has to completely walk away from the adulteress. He has to completely uh, walk out restoration steps for his own soul. But the wife also has to assess any complicating problem that she may have contributed in this mess. If you want to help any couple mature in how they live in unity in God's world, they need to see what they may not be able to see and most definitely what they will struggle to accept. Trigger warning. Be careful here. May the Lord give you ears to hear as I push on through this podcast. All aspects of a dysfunctional marriage need to be broken down into tiny pieces. So the dysfunction can stop and Christ-likeness can ensue. One of the most profound instances of this was a couple I was counseling in the late 90s. In this instance, the wife had committed adultery, and she came to me asking what to do. She came with her friend, and I told her that she needed to tell her husband And she needed to ask the Lord to reconcile their marriage. They needed to remove this thing completely and work through all the problems that led to this event. The sin event of adultery was the climactic and, of course, the most horrific consequentially aspect of what had been going on for a long time in a deteriorating marriage. And so we worked through several things during the first session and mutually agreed she would ask him to come to counseling the following week. She would then tell him about the affair. And so the following week came, and they met in my office. I was nervous. She was nervous. But the adulteress told him what she did, and this is what he said. Quote, I have not been the husband I should have been. Incredibly, those were the first words out of his mouth. I was stunned. It reminded me of David's response when Nathan confronted him about his sin. Immediately, he said, I have sinned against God. Rather than than blaming, rather than going into some kind of diversion, David immediately owned it. And in a lesser way, this gentleman did the same thing. 
He said, again, I, I have not been the husband I should have been. And it was stunning. He was well aware he did not make his wife commit adultery, and no doubt he did not. But there was enough grace in him to give true clarity about their marriage. He was not the cause, but he had not been the husband he should have been. Now, the end of that story was just as remarkable as what happened that day in my counseling office. There was repentance all around. We walked the full circle. We went around every corner. We broke it down into tiny pieces, and and God brought restoration to every aspect. And that couple is happily married to each other today. That humble husband was willing to address how he could have been a better husband. He was a contributor to the dysfunction. And that is my point here. How do you or how do I negatively contribute to our marriages? In broad categories, we can contribute in in two ways, though we probably contribute in both, depending on what is going on at any particular season. We can motivate by grace, that's one way, and we can demotivate by our sinful attitudes, words, or behaviors. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time discussing how we can demotivate a person from godliness. There are a thousand ways that we do that. I have my stories, you have your stories. What I have done, what you have done. But I trust that you are humble enough to assess your sinful tendencies, and you are responsive enough to the illuminating power of the Spirit of God to change. However, a victim of someone else's sin can be so bitter and so angry with their spouse that they do not see their sinful contributions to the marriage because of the ongoing disappointments from their spouse. Going back to the teenagers that I was talking about earlier, I was one of those victim teenagers, and there is no way, no how, you could have come to me and made a case that I had a responsibility in what was going on in the deterioration and the dysfunction of our family. And it was true, I did. But I would not listen. And that's why we want to move carefully here. You might not be able to get to this, to, to this place early, quickly, on your timetable. It may take a long time for the person to come around to do what that husband did immediately. That is an anomaly. That's not how counseling goes. There are sad situations where the Spirit of God has been shut down. The mounting disappointment in the victim is overwhelming, and the marriage is more about grenade launching than redemptive communication. I trust that is not the case with you. If it is the case with you, then I I appeal to you, please seek help now. Do not let more sin rush under the bridge. Stop it now. Receive support before the poison of bitterness completely defiles both of you. As for what sinful contributions can be in a marriage, well, there are two specifically. These are the secondary actors, the husband and wife, not the perpetrators of the heinous sin, whatever sin we're talking about. But what are two sinful contributions? One for the husband, one for the wife. Let's start with the wife. For the wife, it will almost always be in the area of respect. Nothing will cut the heart out of a husband more than a wife's disrespecting attitude 
or her tongue. God wires husbands to lead. Because of sin, his temptation is to lead poorly, especially in the marriage. I am sorry it is this way. I'm sorry if it's this way for you. And too often it is this case for too many wives. They have men who do not lead, do not know how to lead. They do not lead well. They lead poorly. He needs your assistance to help him to lead well. He needs your encouragement. If you are not an encouraging wife, you will contribute and you will feed his sinful desires to seek affirmation in other places by other people. The question is quite simple. Are you an affirming and respecting wife? This is one area where wives can do either great damage or a great service for their husbands by how they communicate to their husbands. And then for the husband, as far as how they can complicate the sinful actions of what a wife does, and maybe this is where that husband fell fell, uh, in his uh, husbandry duties with his wife, the wife that committed adultery. In fact, this is how he failed her, and this was one of the areas that he wanted to address. And for the husband, it is mostly about love and protection, loving his wife well and creating an environment of grace, a protective environment, a safe environment for her to flourish. Nothing will cut the heart out of a wife more than a lazy husband in his love and in his protective care. If he does not love his wife well, then he contributes to her steady distancing from the marriage. And though she is responsible for her choice to distance herself, he is accountable for his sinful contribution to her sin. And so here's the question for the husband. For the wife, I ask, are you an affirming and respecting wife. For the husband, does your wife feel and experience your daily and active love and protection? The answer is for the husband and the wife to think about each other the way Christ considers them. Christ loves sinners, and he is always busy working on their behalf, seeking to redeem and transform them. You know all the text in Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Wife, is your husband a knucklehead? Does that surprise you that he's a knucklehead? It should not. The testimony of Scripture is far less flattering regarding the human condition. Your husband deserves to go to hell. Nothing speaks to his worthlessness like the outcome for all men who have not been born a second time. Paul said it this way in Romans 3.12, and it's why I use the word when I say worthlessness. Nothing speaks to his worthlessness. Some people will draw back from that, but it's very clear in 3.12. Paul said, Romans, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Is your wife, uh, is your husband a knucklehead? Well, Of course, he has been many times. And so the question is, how are you loving sinners the way Christ loved 
you. The good news is how the gospel penetrates all his nonsense and gives him something he does not deserve. The gospel provides him empowering favor. What he gets is not based upon his works, but upon the grace, the mercy, the love of God. We want to live before others this way especially our spouses and our children. Christ does not put things in our way to demotivate us. He is not annoying. Christ is not an aggravationist. He woos us by his love. He overcomes our nonsense by keeping his eyes on a better prize. Christ is a transformer. His purpose is to transform lives, yours and mine. Even being despised and rejected by men did not deter him from his restorative goals in our lives. He did not complicate things. Uh, He came along beside us, and he was pushing us toward himself or pulling us toward himself. Now, I am well aware that what I am saying is complicated and is challenging for some spouses. The pain has gone on for too long. The hurt is too deep. The suffering is unabated, which has opened the door to its cohorts, bitterness and unforgiveness. If this is you, don't stare at the goal, the prize of what you hope will happen in your marriage, but look right in front of you. What is one thing you can do to change yourself hoping it will positively impact your spouse on some future day. The title of the podcast is Humbling, Humbly rather, Assessing How Our Behaviors May Push Others Away from Christ. Here's your call to action as I, as I wrap up. I want to give you some excellent examination questions that will help identify what may be going on in your heart while revealing how you contribute to your marriage. And though your spouse is entirely responsible for their choices, I've said that repeatedly, but God calls you, he calls me to love our spouses in such a way that contributes to their sanctification. Here's a few questions for you to ponder. Number one, how has your behavior contributed to the state of your marriage. Now, I've had more than just this husband say this in a marriage debacle, a marriage dysfunction, dysfunctional situation. Uh, I've had more, in fact, it's usually in the area of adultery. I can think of three illustrations specifically where, in one case, was the husband who said, in, in, well, the one that I mentioned to you here, that I've not been the husband that I always should have been. And then in two cases where the women have come to that place, once they work through the adultery, which is no easy task, in some ways this is not for counseling, and unless you have a counseling philosophy that says we're going to meet for a year and not six and done, 12 and done. If you're a six and done and 12 and done counselor, you will not be able to do counseling well with complex cases because people just don't change that quickly normally. And I've had multiple instances where people were, uh, spouses were in horrific situations with their marriages. And once they got over the, the primary storm that brought them to marriage, they began to work on the tiny pit, the, the tiny bits, the little parts. 
so that they could have complete restoration. And so the question is, how has your behavior contributed to the state of your marriage? Number two, how has your communication contributed to the state of your marriage? Number three, are you an encourager? Does your spouse generally feel encouraged to be around you? Now, this is a question. Let's say that your marriage is not in in this bad state that I've been laying out throughout this podcast. Let's, Let's look at this preventatively. Let's say you're in a pretty good place in your marriage, which most of you are. Then this question is really good. Does your spouse generally feel encouraged to be around you? Is there something that you can shore up in a preventative way? I am not saying that your marriages will ever go off a cliff. Probably not. But how can you shore up this one area? Perchance you have drifted in and dr- drifted to this place of being somewhat of a discourager in your marriage. You, you have forgotten th- that encouragement is essential. And sometimes when we're in the marriage marathon and we've been married for multiple decades, as many of you have, uh, we can forget this basic tip. Number four, are you a bodybuilder? meaning do you edify? The word edify means to build up. Do you build up your spouse? Number five, are your words seasoned with grace? Do you motivate by grace? Number six, are you aware your spouse is a sinner? I use the the, the, the ripe Bible word a while ago, knucklehead. Uh, are you aware that your spouse is a sinner? How are you actively seeking to be part of their transformation? I have four more questions here in the call to action. There's 10 altogether. You're welcome to read them, the title of the podcast, humbly assessing how our behaviors may push others away from Christ. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.